Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Shander LaFave Boten, Christine Wong, Crescent Fresh, Dan Mike Dawson Silva, Emily Kay, Froppy, Ian Collis, Joe Sue, John Dulong, John Griswold, Leanne S., Light Relentless, Riley Stevens, Ross Ward, Sam Solero, Stella, and Teresa. Become our patron today and get access to all of our hidden content at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. You know, Will, I've been thinking... Oh, really? Instead of, um, you know, Square Enix teaming up with uh, Walt Disney mm-hmm. uh, to make Kingdom Hearts, uh, what if Sora and Goofy and Donald and the gang, uh, you know, went to Elwood City? Well, you know what I mean? What do you, what do you, what do you think about oh, that? What do you think about, oh, Gor- G- Gorsh Buster? I don't know. <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like you're sitting on found money there. I think that there, I think that there's a... There's a real good vein that could be tapped. I mean, look, I know that this latest Kingdom Hearts 3 game, they, you know, they have we're having to go to Pixar, we're having to go to some of the more modern Disney movies. We're going to run out of Disney movies at some point. So maybe what needs to happen is if Disney partners with PBS and we get some uh like you said Sora Donald the Goofy uh in Elwood City, maybe we get uh, uh Bar- Oh, Sora, Mr. Rapper's lost his heart, Sora. <laughs> oh, we have to we have to get Mr. Rapper's heart back. He's nobody now. Oh, no, he's not a nobody. Or Did he get norded? Okay, see, you already, I'm already out of my depth. <laughs> I The only things I know about Kingdom Hearts are via context clues and tr- attempting to watch the lore YouTube videos over and over and over again. So you've already got me. I know I know you've played them, but uh, I just know how to be like, oh, oh, no. Swellen's got the X Blade sword. <laughs> <laughs> you talk a good game. I figured you might you might have been one of the ones who on. I, I have a friend who was counting the hours until he could play Kingdom Hearts three on uh, Monday evening. So uh, yeah, no, no. I I was looking at a picture today of Sora uh, talking to Remy the Rat, and I think it broke my brain. Like I just I think I look at it and I just disassociate. Like I just can't. Comprehend what I'm looking at. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild the the, pl- the places they're digging into now. Like I said, like Pixar, it's it's kind of wild to see like Toy Story in a video game besides their own video games. Yeah, Ratatouille. Uh, did you see uh Did you see that Onion article about like uh, uh the Touchstone Pictures universe? Sora <laughs> Sora meeting Ernest. No, I didn't. <laughs> who 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 else does Touchstone Pictures have? Like what? Uh, Whoopi Goldberg in the Sister Act. <laughs> uh, there was a cut. Co- it was there was some choice. Uh, characters for for old Sora to meet. That's funny. That's funny though. I mean, it's a really, uh, and of course, not to not to dunk on Kingdom Hearts too much. I feel like that's uh, dominating the discourse. Oh no, no, these these jokes are all being made out of love and respect. I, I'm not I'm not uh, beating a dead horse at all. I I, I uh, tip my hat to all the Kingdom Hearts fans out there. It's just very fun to talk and think about. Like I just get happy when I think about it. Yeah, and I, um, and I just and I just feel like a lot of the, you know, the, the the discourse of like, oh, it's confusing and like all like oh, I don't understand it. It's kind of played out at this point. I'm more interested in people's genuine uh appreciation and fascination uh with the games rather than people just aggressively not understanding what's going on. Uh, I, I would play them if I had more time, but alas, I have very little time. Today, I watched uh, today's episode of t- to uh, 
uh, pull back the curtain a little bit here. I watched today's episode of Elwood's uh, of Arthur um, in the common area of my college because I was so excuse me I was so strapped for time. Uh, I had to uh, do it on lunch break, and I could only imagine what all the other people thought I was doing on the work computers as I watched this episode of Arthur and took notes. Uh, maybe they thought, hey, look, there's, uh, you know, city-famous podcaster Lucas City, but I highly doubt it. Well, I mean, hey, the, not, and of course, this is going to sound one way, but it's like, this is work in a way. I mean, we do have people who are uh, chip, oh, chip, chipping in a little and I would, I, I would, I would uh, be quick to tell anyone that. If they were to uh, comment on what I was watching, so welcome everybody. We are back once again for Elwood City Limits. This is the episodic Arthur podcast. My name is Will Young, and I can't say that I have been as busy as Mr. Lucas Mancini. Hey, we're getting through it, big time. And uh, I mean, I've been a little busy on my own as well, kind of more with social obligations than anything else, which is weird to me. I'm used to just kind of, you know, spending years hermiting up in my apartment playing video games, and I don't have as much time for that these days. I was actually just, uh, the juice ran out of my controller as I was playing Resident Evil 2, so I have to let it charge before I can go back to it. 2019, you've cocooned into a social butterfly, it seems. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. There's 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 perks <laughs> now that I'm on the other side of the fence. There's perks to kind of uh, being a bit of a loner. But, you know, it's, it's probably for the best. So I'll just kind of go with the flow for right now. This is actually a rare week. Uh, we had a bit of a we had a, bit, a couple of weeks here where uh, if you haven't checked them out yet, you can go onto our uh, Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/ElwoodCityLimits, and get access to all the fill a busters, which we do during our off weeks where we're not able to record, uh, talking about various subjects. And uh, yeah, that's been kind of the main thing for the last couple of weeks. So it's good to get back to finally delving into more of season six. This particular episode i feel is one that a lot of people have been waiting for us to talk about uh for one reason or another it's funny so my my again extra context my classmates uh were asking me uh which arthur episode i was watching because they know i do the podcast and when i started to explain it i was surprised to hear that all of them remembered both of these episodes oh which i had forgotten about the first one we're going to talk about yeah me too I, i i wasn't really certain but boy talk about uh Talk about uh, life uh, colliding with art. We're, I mean, we'll get into it here. Uh, but it turns out that I've actually been preparing for this episode for a lot longer than I realized. And uh, we also have a rare week here where we don't have uh, any emails or instant messages. Uh, so remember, if you would like to get your feedback, your questions, your uh, comments on Arthur, the show, or anything else right on the air, the best way to do that is ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. But you can also go on oh. to any of our social media platforms and uh, what, is, what is this coming across my desk? Why we have an email from Lucas Mancini oh, in okay. Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Uh, Lucas writes, hey, Will, hmm. what Harry Potter house would the Arthur crew go into? Oh, uh, thanks. Love the show. Signed, Lucas. Man, that, well, that, that, that Lucas, he always drops stuff onto our plates and uh, with the real heady questions here. I thought I thought maybe... I don't know why I could tell this from an email, but I bet that emailer was really handsome. <laughs> he, had a, he had a very uh, dashing turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah, his prose <laughs> made me feel like he had a... a, a, a yeah, what... Okay. All right, so let's, yeah, let's, l- get, let's get into it. Because of... The easy ones. We got easy ones. Buffy Slytherin. Boom. Yep. Boom. Out of the park. Yep. Swish. Easy peasy. Brain, uh, I, I, I take brain it. is Ravenclaw. Boom. Easy. 
Oh my god. Does itself. I think hmm, now it's getting <laughs> and that's where the easy ones end. I would say that, you know, um I think the shoe-ins for Gryffindor, we got, uh, for- uh, I think, uh, Fern is a good Gryffindor. You think so? I, I was kind of waffling between uh, Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw. Oh, Fern's definitely, she's definitely more Ravenclaw than a Hufflepuff. Fern is not a Ravenclaw. If anything, Arthur mm. and Buster might be the shoe-ins for Ravenclaw. No, no, Arthur's Gryffindor. Buster's definitely Raven. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff. Yeah, but I meant to Buster's, say, Buster's a telltale Hufflepuff here. Hufflepuff, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to say Francine is also a Gryffindor. I think that she embodies kind of the more, um, I guess, less positive aspects of a Gryffindor as much as the, uh, as much as the positive ones, too. That's the thing is that, um, and especially through talking through it with my, uh, with my fiance, Jenna, she's a huge Harry Potter fan. And so she kind of helped me to understand that, like, each house is its own kind of positives and negatives because when you first encounter Harry Potter it's like well Gryffindor's the good one Slytherin's the evil one and the other two are just kind of in the middle but uh, you know g- there is a certain kind of headstrongness to beliefs that Gryffindors can embody and I feel like Francine uh, is really that as well Arthur is um, I'd probably say a classic Gryffindor just by virtue of being the main character so I agree with you now there. now here's something to unpack yeah. Binky okay mm-hmm. now Binky, if I was to say the Harry Potter character that reminds me the most of Binky, it would definitely be one Neville Longbottom. Okay. Okay, and that would squarely place him in Hufflepuff now, wouldn't it? No. Is, is Neville Longbottom? Neville's a Gryffindor. Oh, well, then there we go. Okay, I, that's where Binky I goes. I agree, because I think that there's an aspect of Binky's personality that exemplifies bravery. Like, when you when you think about, like, oh, he, uh, you know, embraced the side of himself that likes ballet and classical music, and, like, granted, he's kind of timid about it around his friends, but there have been points in the series where he's been very open about it, so I'd say the bravery aspect is uh, kind of what puts him over into into Gryffindor. Um, are, can we, I, I think, can we say DW is a Slytherin? I feel like it's too early to say. Fair enough. Um, I I would say at- I, I I will I, I hey I could say that uh, Mr. Rappern, Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Good call. And uh, I'd say. Oh, actually, no, no, no. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. I got it completely wrong. So Mr. Rappern's the potions master. Yes. Yeah. Um, what's the teacher that you hate that always sings the the songs in the other class? Sings the songs uh, in the other class. Miss. You know, like I like fudge and uh, oh 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 um Miss uh, Mrs Miss Mrs Fink Mrs Fink Mrs Fink Mrs Fink is the defense against the dark arts teacher because it turns out she's evil all along. <laughs> she's a real Dolores Umbridge that one. Um, okay, I'm just I'm making sure that we run through the major characters before anybody uh, yells at us. And of course, this is the kind of stuff that we encourage you to uh, let us know about like what you think, uh, where uh, Yeah, do, do we get Mahalo it wrong? Yeah. Right in to the uh, Elwood City Limits email sh- at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And show your work. Uh, I think that uh, we can we can say that. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, since So well, let's get into this because we're talking about an episode of Arthur that is very much based off of Harry Potter. What house would Prunella be in? Because she's the main character of this episode. Oh. What house is Luna Lovegood in? She's also in Gryffindor. Is she? I thought she was a... Oh, I thought she was a... Uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, sure. A Pufflepuff. Pretty sh- mm. Luna Lovegood. Yeah. Let's check the Pottermore. 
house. Luna Lovegood house. Because it's whatever one Luna Lovegood. Oh, in. yeah. Okay, I was I, I was wrong. Oh, she's a Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. I, I I'd say I'd say um, Prunella is probably uh uh probably also a Ravenclaw. She's very studious. She's also very um uh adept with like um. Oh my gosh! I just I just finished Prisoner of Azkaban. The subject that Professor Trelawney teaches is oh, it's it's like the one where you use like divining and crystal balls and stuff like that. Let, let me tell you something. I am of no help here. I, I, Much like Kingdom Hearts, I am way above my pay grade. Uh, so by the way, still going through the uh, Harry Potter books, uh, still very good. I'm having a great time. Sorry, this is just going to bug me. Professor Trelawney was the divination teacher, so uh, Prunella is an, uh, a natural divination student, and I'd say probably a Ravenclaw as well, just because of how studious she is. Although, wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, put out a Slytherin candidacy for her either, depending on how she acts in this episode. So yeah, this this one is Prunella's special edition, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about uh, how this kind of relates to the real world. It actually starts off with Prunella kind of going through what feels to me like, uh, like an adventure game. Yeah, I, I wrote down uh, uh, Prunella is playing Dark Souls with the strategy guide because <laughs> she's basically counting paces in this uh, kind of labyrinthian... Uh, uh, I, du- I don't even know what to call dungeon? it. Dungeon. Uh, well, it go it goes from it quick. Yeah, it's very like Dungeons and Dragon esque in that it it goes from like a big like library to a cave to like a, a, a like a a treasure room, if you will, uh, or a room with like magical artifacts. And she's sort of following like these instructions, like ten paces north, uh, do this, do that. So yeah, very dark. Uh, there's these, also the other thing that made me think of it, Dark Souls, is mm-hmm. that there's this weird. So I think in season we're in season six, correct? That's right. Um, uh, in season six, they've added a lot of. We talked about in previous episodes. They've added new sound effects. You know, Arthur's sort of infamous for reusing the same sounds. If it ain't broke, don't fix yeah. it. But they've added a lot of new sounds. But they've also added, I think, new music. Yes, um, uh, I have a to the show. Yeah, I have a note here about that as well. Uh, specifically to this episode is where I noticed it in. Mm-hmm. And it- so I was wearing my watching this in the common area. I was wearing my friend's headphones, and I noticed during this scene there's like a weird like choral chanting. Mm. Uh, and that's also very Dark Souls-esque. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and, of course, you can you can spec into, like, uh, kind of a wizard-type class in Dark Souls, oh, yes. right? yes. Okay. Yes, definitely, definitely. It's hard, but you can't. Yeah, so that's, what's pr- that's what Prunella's probably doing. Maybe the reason why all these disparate, like, rooms and stuff are together, maybe it's like Dark Souls 2, where, like, the architecture, you could argue, is supposed to kind of not make sense. <laughs> it's like you go from a lava world into a castle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so she's making her way through this. It's just a bunch of kind of, you know, magic-based scenarios. She's got, like, a magic wand. She has a magic carpet that she uses, too. Um, and it's meant to essentially get us in the mind frame of uh, the world of the magical world we're about to enter in this one. And at the very end, she finds a book that she's been questing for, but then the pages are all blank. And there's a picture of all of the main cast dressed as wizards and they start laughing at her. Yeah. That picture is very, uh, uh, it's a rich vein for meme material. Like if you could post that and be like, uh, 
the post below you uh, <laughs> is making uh, the the wizard Arthur crew laugh, or like they're sh- they're shaming the post below you because they really, oh my goodness, I'm l- watching it now and they're just like really having a good chuckle. Um, that's a great idea. That's I- a great idea. I'm stealing that caption for this week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, yes, so the so right away we get into the fact that the kids are lined up at a bookstore for a midnight release of a very popular no, uh, kids novel called Henry Screever. Now, Will, I know you're reading Harry Potter now, um, and, and you are a big Harry Potter fan. I myself am not a huge Harry Potter fan, mm-hmm. but of course I've... I've uh, read some of the books when I was a little kid and I, I've absorbed most of it from cultural osmosis. Um, I have to ask, have you ever been to a Harry Potter like uh, release of a new book? Because believe it or not, I have. Oh, I was, dr- I was dragged to uh, by a friend of mine at the time. Mm-hmm. And this is a very Lucas Mancini story. <laughs> uh, people, people were, it was at the local chapters, which for you Americans is a Canadian bookstore. It's kind of like Barnes and Noble. Um, and they had like stations where people were making wands. They had like, there was like cosplay. There was like all these like activities. And, uh, while everybody was excited waiting for the book and doing all that stuff, I just sat in the manga section, um, and read like manga the whole time, mm-hmm. uh, for like three hours while they waited for the Harry Potter book to come out. So, uh, what about, what about yourself? Have you, uh, uh, been to a Harry Potter big release? So personally, no, I have not. Um, what has, so first of all, Jenna has been to one and she kind of told me, I believe it was for the, the very last book. She, she went to a midnight release party for that. Um, and you know, had a good time, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but my mother would get me the books when they were in, in release week. And because that was, that was a really interesting time uh, to be a kid during. And I'm sure you can attest to this as well, Lucas, even if you weren't the biggest Harry Potter fan. Uh, I just have a note here. So they're lined up for a book called Henry Screever and the Cabbage of Mayhem on obvious Harry Potter knockoff. So by this point, this episode was released in late 2001 Harry Potter fever had definitely already come to North America like the books were super popular and they were being released at about a rate of like one every year or or like two years or something like that uh the Goblet of Fire was released in the year 2000 in the USA it was the first time they released that book at the very same time as they did in Great Britain it used to be that over in England, they would release the book, and then like a year later, America would get it. But by the time the third book came out, it really started to catch on. And so now we were in full-blown, like like you said, midnight release parties. And, you know, kids, there's a whole theme throughout this episode of kids, like, speed reading the book to keep their lead and to uh, kind of keep keep up. It's basically what watching a Netflix series is right now, of just like, oh, which episode are you on? Oh, I'm on episode six. Well, I'm on episode five. Uh, but it was all to do with kids' literacy, so uh, it was a really interest interesting time to be uh, to be a lot to be a kid or to be a parent. Yeah, um, that's one thing I guess not to get too ahead of ourselves, but one thing I do uh, really like about this episode is um, how it illustrates the joys of reading and and the joys of reading as a group. Like it's it's something that I um, unless you're in a book club as an adult, you don't really get to experience so much. But a lot of my um, friends right now are kind of doing a book challenge where for 2019 they're trying to read a uh, certain amount of books before the year is over. Um, one of them is trying to read 50, uh, and the other one's trying to read 75, which is quite the undertaking. That's yeah. more than a book a week. 
um, significantly more than a book a week, actually. Um, but uh, they're both on track to doing it, and um, uh, it's really interesting to hear them talk about, like, oh, I'm reading this book this week, or I'm reading this book this week. Uh, and, and this episode kind of reminded me that of, like, oh, like, talking about um, reading all at the same time is, is a really kind of magical, uh, not to be too on the nose here, but magical experience. And I do like how this, this episode sort of as a set dressing, it's not really the point of the episode, but a set dressing kind of illustrates the fun of reading with your friends. Yeah. It's a very Arthur topic. Yeah, absolutely. And you figure at some point that Arthur would have to tackle this and they do it very uh, directly it's a big part like they have their own sort of in-universe canon for the Henry Screever series like throughout the episode everybody's like oh remember when this happened to Henry and it's like it's all kind of sort of based on stuff that happens on the books but also pretty original uh, a lot of it like food based as well uh, yeah so for people who weren't around or maybe just weren't old enough by the time those books were coming out it was huge like I would be basically from the fourth to the seventh book I my memory of those books are really patchy because the thing to do would be to read it as fast as you could so you so your friends didn't spoil it for you and so you could talk about it with your friends and uh, that's why I'm rereading them now so I can take them a lot slower and actually kind of appreciate more of what's going on it really was the bit the only time in my life i can really remember like binge reading something uh for the sake of just purely getting the information and of course this was before uh wikipedia it was before like you could look up summaries of books online so i couldn't even do that anyway it really really kind of brought me brought me back in a fun way and just kind of remembering how big of a part of a of kids lives that was for many many years and then after the books were done then the movies were after that or at least around the same time so and i mean harry potter's still very popular today what with those uh fantastic beast movies although you know, dep depends on how you feel about those whether or not they uh kind of measure up to the original harry potter before we move on from the greater harry potter conversation i just need to say this to get it out of my brain sure. Uh, what if uh, uh, Sora and the gang went to Hogwarts? You know what I mean? Uh, oh, like, oh, gosh, Sora, I wonder what house I'm going to be in. Like, uh, uh, Donald Duck is a certified Slytherin, let me tell you. 100%. Goofy, I'd say, is probably a Hufflepuff, and Sora is a Gryffindor. <laughs> exactly. I was going to try to do a Donald Duck, but I'm pretty sure I can't. Let me. It's like... <laughs> Oh god. That's actually pretty uh, that's actually pretty good. Like in Well, I didn't say any words, but yeah. <laughs> it's like a frustrated Donald Duck. Like I I don't even try. Like I think I like one time when I was a bit younger, like I got the Donald Duck voice first try and I've never been able to replicate it. There's a there's a oh. whole trick to doing it that I'm that I don't understand. Uh, oh gee, oh jeez, Hagrid, the heartless are, <laughs> the, the heartless are storming Hogwarts's doors. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hey, we depending on how uh, Lord Disney is uh, is doing these days, it may not be long before they completely assimilate Warner Brothers into their canon. The kids are all very excited. They're at the midnight release for Henry Screever, but they keep saying uh, that Prunella isn't there, who is apparently the biggest Henry Screever fan of the entire group. Uh, and she is at home kind of, again, playing around in the same costume we saw in the cold open. And uh, she has a very special edition of the Henry Screever book again, and the, the Henry Screever and the Cabbage of Mayhem that is being mailed to her, so she doesn't even have to go to the midnight uh, release. And I got to say, Prunella, as being a fan of this book series, like as being a huge fan of this book series, makes a lot of sense. 
for her character. Yeah, and also I, I do want to say, like, I, I've been pretty critical of Pernella up to this point, but um, she, like, she's not that bad in this episode. Like, I, I definitely think that, like, she's still not my favorite character, mm-hmm. but, um, like, the, the negative aspects of her are pretty toned down, except for the part where she's, like, bragging about how cool her book is uh, to all the other kids. Uh, but she kind of gets her just desserts for that fairly quickly, so... Um, I think there's a part where oh sorry no no it's all right I was just gonna say I think Prunella is an interesting character to keep around because with a lot of the kids so far we've kind of seen their characters go through ups and downs but Prunella has kind of more fertile ground like she has room to grow as a character and as a person and you know we kind of see both sides of her in this episode so I think there's still room for us to grow to appreciate her in a better way it doesn't mean that we necessarily have to like her but uh they can there's at least a lot more room to bring more depth to her character than we've seen so far it's true there's high hopes for Prunelli. she could always turn out to be a binky or the other side of that coin she could turn out to be a muffy who's essentially a (laughs) stagnant character that never changes or, or learns her lesson yeah um so she's so excited for this book. Uh, she's going to school and she daydreams that it's the uh, the Hogwarts stand-in. Which did you happen to pause? I did. Uh, when you, when you see the crest because it says Pig Blisters School of Charms Tricks and Spells, um, and then it says see it says in Latin uh, Scientia Veritas Cake. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so it's like uh, I want to say like science science truth and cake. Yeah. So I, um, I, and I assume that. this is the callback to whenever um, the pig in the mall that's eating the big piece of cake that DW always pictures Arthur oh, as. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Must be like a brand or something. Uh, yeah. We get a couple of like, so we get the direct reference from pig blisters to Hogwarts. There's also uh, Mr. Ratburn shown driving a flying car, like in the second book and it getting uh, tossed around by the mangling maple, which is a stand in for the, uh, the tree in Hogwarts. It's the Whomping Willow, so I appreciate that. As somebody who has read the books. There's also a weird, creepy, like, pig with, like, bumps on its back. Like, it's got, like, a dinosaur tail, and it's a pig, and it's also got wings, and it's being, um, it's being, like, walked by the groundskeeper. Yeah, it's some um, kind of weird Full Metal Alchemist chimera going on here. <laughs> it's funny you mention that. I'm watching Brotherhood right now for the first time. I've only ever seen the original series, oh. and uh, uh, that's a good call. Jen and I are watching the original series right now. I showed her the first episode of Brotherhood, and and she was like, I don't really know what's going on. And I'm like, okay, well, let's watch the first episode of the original one. She's like, oh, okay, I understand things a lot better. So I was like, all, yeah, all right. In the, order to the, get to one, this- we have to go through the other. I mean, the second episode of Brotherhood kind of, like, it's just, for some reason it just starts, like, it does the thing where it's like, oh, like, uh, uh, we don't want to start people with all the boring introduction stuff, so we're going to start with, like, a little mini story. Mm -hmm. Um, But even I, who had watched the original series, was, like, a little bit confused. I was like, wait, don't they meet all these people way later? Um, But I feel like the second episode of Brotherhood is basically the exact same as the first episode of the original series. Yeah, but I I, I agree, and I just think it's, it's so far much more effective uh, for Jenna to kind of discover it this way. They're, they are more upfront with the explanations. Then when you get into Brotherhood, mm. there's still a lot left to off- offer because, of course, there's a, the ending is different. Like the, basically, the second half is cl- much closer to the manga and everything. So there's still a lot there. I'm looking forward to going through both with her. This is my second time uh, through both series. Um, I will say I really appreciate that the writer of this episode really had to do a lot of work in order to make things 
close enough to Harry Potter, but not exact. So, like, we get parodies of stuff, like with pig blisters, but then there's other stuff that they that he makes up, like the Chimera thing, like the pig lizard, and like all the, all the other stuff. So some of it is parody, some of it is original, and I gotta believe that's gotta be tough. So this next scene, we get um, basically it's Marie Kondo's worst nightmare. Mm. Um, Muffy is so so. Uh, Prudel is the only one who doesn't have her Harry Screever book or Henry Screever book because she uh, uh, basically doesn't have Amazon Prime and she's waiting for her special edition to come on order. Uh, and then we get this little bit where uh, Muffy has bought three copies of the book. Oh man! Uh, and it's like when people buy the special edition of a video game just to keep it in the plastic wrap and then buy another one just to play. Um, and yeah, this would send shivers down Marie Kondo's spine. I doubt all three <laughs> of these books bring her joy. Yeah, it's like a friend of mine who has three different copies of Star Fox sixty four. Oh yikes! And just like it, ju- it just over just over different systems and everything. And I mean, I'm guilty of that too. I have bought at least two copies of Resident Evil four over various systems as well. So I'm certainly not clean either. But yeah, this was a little bit. This was of course uh, twisting the knife in of how rich Muffy is and uh, how her daddy bought her all this stuff. In fact, she even has. Uh, she shows off some merch she has. She has a Henry Screever watch, and she says, like, it even talks. Which is, this is a fun, like, comic book guy moment with Prunella, where she's like, uh, actually, uh, this is obviously, like, a, a fake watch. It doesn't make sense with the canon. I love I love what the watch says. It's just, I'm Henry Screever. I'm on your wrist. We're friends. <laughs> so deadpan. Uh, yeah, Prunella is, this like, the, the lesser side of her in this episode is that she's really kind of a jerk about uh, being a fan of Henry Screever, uh, which, of course, every fandom has them, unfortunately. But she's re- like, she's re- yeah, it, it, she's very much like, oh, you you like Henry Screever? Name five of his albums. Like, she, it's very <laughs> like that kind of vibe. Yeah. So that's the real that's the real drag of it all. But she uh, races through the rest of the day. She's so excited to get her book. We even get a cutaway here where Prunella is playing soccer and imagines that she's playing the Henry Screever version of Quidditch, which is called soupage and it's soupage and they're, and they're, they're getting this is part i remember what you said earlier about how the writer makes up like kind of combines harry potter stuff with original stuff and this part is really like the imagery here is really crazy it's like all these floating vegetables and they're on magic carpets as the stand-in for the brooms um but just like what a strange image like all of these vegetables sort of like floating in zero gravity uh, yeah. uh and, and instead of a snitch they're trying to get a bouillon, a bouillon cube, cube. Uh, I, 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 again, I thought this was very imaginative, and if, there seems to be a, a food theme uh, with Henry Screever. Like later on, it's like, oh, his nose turns into a cucumber or something like that, and something in a kumquat. Yeah, yeah it turns into like... a kumquat, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so, soupage as a game was a pretty funny parody of Quidditch. Uh, so, Prunella gets home after school finally, and she unwraps her book, but she turns out uh, it's a Braille edition of the book. That uh, it seems was accidentally sent out. Yeah. So later on, when she calls, she, 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 uh, the publisher, she calls, They said that she, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. She calls the the publisher in New York office. And did you catch this? The secretary's name is Dora Yonkers. Oh no, I did not notice that. That's interesting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she sort of has that, like, the lady from the Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters secretary accent. We got one! Um, Dora Yonkers! There's also a funny, like, almost Simpsons joke where when she's reading out um, the message that came with the book, Prunella is, yeah. 
it's like it goes into all this detail about like how like it's thank you for buying this book signed like the specialty edition of the publisher like because right. of course only like the specialty edition would put out the braille version i don't know it was a funny like very dry uh, uh, joke in the middle of the episode but yeah she calls Dora Yonkers and then um, is sad to learn that well she's happy at first that she, that it was a, a clerical error and she will get her, her the correct copy but it won't be coming for another three weeks because again uh, she did not pay Jeff Bezos his blood money and does not have Amazon Prime and uh, Dora Yonkers is of course filling in for Marie Staten Island <laughs> uh, yeah, so she's going to have to wait a long time before she can read Henry Screever, so everything serves to haunt her of, uh, how, of how much she can't read her favorite book series and how she'll be behind in the conversation. Uh, I noticed here there's a lot of classical music pieces in this that they kind of repurpose. Uh, yeah, the- Hall of the Mountain King. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, they, they use a refrain of Hall of the Mountain King, and it shows up throughout the sh- episode. And this is where Prunella's uh, nastiness about the fandom comes back to haunt her because uh, earlier she she said, like, uh, maybe uh, Muffy should read Pretty Rainbow, Pretty Colors uh, to kind of insult her. And then they kind of turn it back around on her uh, when Prunella literally begs uh, for one of Muffy's copies of the book. Because she's... Uh, this is also... She's begging it from a character I like to call Merch Muffy. <laughs> uh, Muffy is really decked out to the nines in her, her Henry Screever getup. Like, she's got a full print graphic tee. She's got the snapback. She's got... Um, she's got a, lun- these, like, a, a veg- lunchbox, a double-sided lunchbox. A, a flag, uh, like, vegetable-themed sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, she she's... Uh, again, another type of annoying fan is the one who buys everything and has the money to buy everything. But of course, that's they—they—they are who keep it uh, keep the machine running. Uh, Brunella's trying everything she can to think of to get the book. She's trying the library. She asks Frank. Okay, yeah. Are we going to talk about askfrank.com? We are. Or .net, excuse me. It is askfrank.net. I was going to do this on the air, but let's see if I get a virus. Ask. Frank. So ask so ask Frank for anybody who doesn't know is a parody of a search engine called Ask Jeeves, which was very popular at least for me when I was in like junior high, and it was like you would form your searches in the form of a question, and there would be like this electronic butler, and I think you could still go to Ask Jeeves, but it's a very archaic type of uh, search engine when you have like Google or God help you Yahoo. Whoa. Okay. Ask Frank does actually exist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty crazy. It brings you to this, this, uh, like this HTML graphic. It's just rotating this video where it says, ask Frank, Twitter, Pinterest, social media. It's all flying at the screen. F Facebook, local SEO, google.com more. All these buzzwords are flying out at me. What can we help you with? Branding, SM, uh, social Google. What? Oh, okay. Now there's a city. Okay. Sounds like, and it says, Go sounds to... like you're being sucked into Tron World. Destin's SE admin at askfrank.net. This is... Oh, my God. I got to get out of here. Okay. Oh, man. No, um... now I'm in it, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like... It's kin- it kin- Nowhere does it say what Frank actually is. It's just like sending the buzzwords at Kinetic you. topography. Man, somebody must have done this for their f- friggin' uh, community college project. We get a line here, and this is also another Harry Potter fandom reference. Um, you know, Prunella says aloud, like, oh, I'd, now, I f- now I know how Persephone felt in the something or other, like, part of a book. And then Ratburn connects her and says, it's actually Persephone. Uh, like the, uh, I, th- I think the Greek god? I forget if 
which pantheon Persephone's in. But that's also uh, so, again something that Jenna brought up to me that you you didn't you kind of weren't sure how to pronounce some of the characters' names until you like heard them in the movie. So and and especially for me when I was reading the Harry Potter books, of course we know now it's Hermione, but when I would read it, it was oh it's Hermione. And I, and, and I was not alone in that. Like, nobody really knew how to pr- pronounce Hermione until the movies. That's, uh, uh, it, you know, I, I might not be uh, as cultured as yourself, Will, uh, to have had that problem with the Harry Potter books. But <laughs> trust me, I am a literary man, and, and, and I had a similar issue with the, um, I don't know if you know this series, it's, it's a pretty, you know, um, if you if you're someone who is an academic who studies literature, uh, the Bionicle books, <laughs> um, I I would never heard them say like the Makota, uh, right. and all of those the the Bionicle uh, uh, races and names. I've never heard them said out loud until I saw the CGI films uh, that were adapted. A lot of apostrophes, as I remember, in those Bionicle names. Um, I see. I'm I'm scared to even attempt to try and say one as a joke because I have a friend, believe it or not, who is still very, very, very much into the biotical lore. And if you ever talk to him about it, he will then talk your ear off for 45 minutes. I love this about him because who else do I can I go to for all of my biotical lore needs? Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to misspoke, misspeak about this in order to uh, avoid angering him. Fair enough. I mean, hey, it takes all kinds of this crazy world. And who am I to say? I uh, I watch Common Rider, so I know a thing or two about complicated lore. Wouldn't wouldn't want to uh, uh, anger the the Tahu? the Toa, the Toa. Oh my God! Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank so you. So I, I I read the Bionicle comics in my lifetime. So. <laughs> Uh, back when those first came out. Again, that would probably have been around the same time as here. Man, just revisiting my childhood. That's what this podcast is all about. So uh, so Prunella sees no other option but to learn how to read Braille, and she like is able to recognize the letter X after like uh, deep intensive study, and then she just decides to give up uh, and wait for the book. But then she collides into, who I believe is going to be a semi-regular character, uh, her name is Marina. She's a she's a bunny character, and she's also blind. She uh, walks with a um, with a cane. With uh, uh, gosh, I feel like there's probably a better better word for it. But uh, a, 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 what is it? A white cane? A seeing eye? Cane? Yeah, the um, same thing that Matt Murdock has. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So Prunella, you know, accidentally run, runs in. They accidentally run into each other, and Marina immediately realizes because she can read braille that she's got the new henry screever book and it turns out that marina is a huge fan as well and uh prunella is very defeated at this point um and just decides you know oh you can you can have you can have it uh i yeah her her reasoning behind this is absolutely insane she says uh uh because uh sorry what is the new character's name her name is marine marina Marina. Okay, I thought it was that. It's kind of a. I wonder what origin uh, Marina is. That's not a name you hear that often. Mm. Um, anyway, Marina offers to read it to her, and then initially Prunella refuses because she likes to do all the voices out loud. Yeah, which is like insane to me. That's like nutty. I kind of like to do the voices out loud too. <laughs> what? <laughs> it would take so long. Okay, but but uh, so. I don't do it for all of them. Like, but sometimes I'll read a passage of a book and like, you know, for me, 
I have, you know, certain voices in my head. And I'm talking about reading Harry Potter here. You know, the movies have come out and we already have like a lot of very iconic performances. So, of course, every time I read Snape, it's Alan Rickman. Every time that I hear Hagrid, it's Robbie Coltrane. And so when the mood strikes me and we've got like a big Snape passage, then I put on my best Alan Rickman and just give it a whirl. It's it's fun. It's fun. You know what? Glass houses shouldn't throw bricks. I'll do Kingdom Hearts voices all day long. So, <laughs> who am I? Who am I to judge? Oh gosh, nearly headless. Nick is, is at it again. Sora. <laughs> oh, 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 Peeves oh. is really causing trouble. Oh, I hear, I, I hear Mickey's voice. In... <laughs> gosh, Gookie. Gosh, Goopy. Uh, uh, moaning Myrtles. Gosh, like. Morning, yeah. moaning Myrtle is Gorsh. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, Marina at least uh, decides to read um, uh, Prunella's Braille book, and then Prunella kind of hears her reading it, and then it's just like, no, please tell me what, what's happened. So she actually, we, th- we then cut, we fade cut to the pretty much the end of the episode here as the Arthur crew are saying that they're all done reading the book and they can't wait for the next one, which comes out in another year. And they're just, they kind of look at Prunella and just like, do you think she's read the book? Knowing her, she's probably on to, she probably already has the next Henry Screever book. But it turns out that she's still on her way through it, but she has made a new friend. She has Marina over to her house to read it to her, and they kind of hang out. And uh, Marina is uh, in future Prunella episodes. I know that much. So, uh, and we uh, we don't really get a great sense of any character yet for Marina, but she does seem very nice. And uh, I think that this is a really interesting wrinkle to add to the story of just have uh, having somebody who is blind on the at least supporting cast. And I hope we see her more. Yeah, it's, it's and it's good to see a character introduced uh, who's not going to be joining our great Hall of Fame of the throwaway character of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice to know that she actually sticks around. Um, I was worried we weren't going to have a throwaway character of the week this week, but luckily, um, and we'll see if you can spot them, Will, uh, uh, we, we, at the 11th hour, we're introduced to one, so uh, uh, keep an ear out for that. Well, before, before things start talking that shouldn't talk, let's throw it to a word from us. And now a word from me, Lucas Mancini of Elwood City Limits. Don't forget to chat with your Elwood City Limits pals on social media with facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits or at ECL Podcast on Twitter. We also have a Tumblr, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com and an Instagram, at Elwood City Limits. If you want to send us a question, send us an email and get it read on the show at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can find the entire episode archive at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com or on your favorite podcast service. If we aren't on your preferred podcast app, let us know, and we'll do our best to get on it. Thanks, as always, for supporting us here at Elwood City Limits. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Let's do this. It's the secret life of dogs and babies. This is the one that people have been looking forward to us talking about, and for very good reason, I'd say. And man, it starts off hot. Like it's Well, I was going to say, me included, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while. It's one of those episodes where you say the title, you know exactly what it is. Yeah. But boy, did I not remember it started with this. So This is like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, this is wild. 
Um, it's even more, like, even more so, um, Arthur's not new to parody. I mean, we just talked about an episode that's, like, got a bunch of Harry Potter parody in it. There's, of course, the contest episode with all those parodies. But this one's, like, this is just insane. It's been a real theme as we go deeper into the show how the writers, and I'm sure the animators, too, really like parody. Like, and they really like to kind of put their finger on the pulse. Now, this may have been a little bit past this particular show's kind of uh, time in the limelight, but the episode starts off with a, what I would say is a pitch-perfect parody of the Nickelodeon show Rugrats. Like, it literally starts with, you know, it's meant to be, you know, Arthur and DW watching this on the TV, and we get, essentially, the Rugrats characters if they were in the Arthur universe, and, like, with minor name changes. But you can tell. It's, like, Tommy Pickles, Chucky, Phil and Lil, and Angelica, except... In this one, Angelica is Veronica and Tommy is Bucky, and they, but they their their designs are unmistakable. And uh, I think I, can I also say I love they're also cute. Like the the Tommy are. Pickles dog is like adorable. Bucky is Bucky almost won the throwaway character of the week this week. But I'm a big Bucky fan. Um, but yeah, this is great. And also like it does the thing where it's, it's the warped and they actually utilize this technique later on in the episode, but it does the thing where it's like kind of the warped perspective where everything looks huge, um, and like bendy and weird because it's supposed to be from the kid's perspective. And I and I mean they really replicated this in the Arthur style quite well. I I agree. I like the uh, I like the um, the Chucky. I don't know what his name is, but he's pretty cute too. But of course, it's it would be impossible for them to really replicate the Klasky Chupo style of animation, uh, or at least it would be really intensive. Like in the they did it they did it once with the. Uh... Was it um, Dr. Katz? Remember when Arthur parodied Dr. Katz? Yeah, yeah, I just feel like the Dr. Katz animation is uh, different enough from Klasky Chupo where it... And, I mean, maybe it was the same animation house. I really don't know. But there's a, there's a je ne sais quoi about the way that Rugrats was animated that I feel like would be really hard to replicate one-to-one. So I think doing it in the Arthur house style is a pretty good compromise. They do... The music sounds pretty similar, too. Like, a lot of the Rugrats music was, like, kind of... Um, uh, almost like the music from Doug, like um, they almost sound like mouth. <laughs> I was like, like as you were looking, as you were looking for like um, the word, you were like, it's kind of. I was gonna say, really, really good. Uh, is that <laughs> it, the word you're looking for? Is, uh, certified slappers, if you will. It is good. It is good music for that show specifically. But I think they did a pretty good job of like capturing the spirit of it a little bit, if not, you know, doing it uh, complete justice. Anyway, loved this opening, and then it just. And then it oh, just so, and then it just so, gets, gets wild. So before we move on, we talked a lot about Harry Potter. Are you a fan of Rugrats? Will did you like the 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 old rats back in the day? I loved Rugrats back in the day. It was like one of the premier cartoons that YTV would have, which is uh, uh, the main kids channel up here in uh, Canada. And yeah, I would watch Rugrats every day. Uh, I just I don't know. It's it's almost something that. You know, looking back on it, it's not like other cartoon series where I look at it and like, man, that was one of my favorite cartoons. But it was so reliably entertaining. And I think it was just the the combination of the kind of babies as characters put together with some really like maybe not like gross subject matter, but they weren't afraid to kind of appeal to kids' sensibilities. And I feel like that made it really watchable. And it also had some pretty good 
adult humor too though like like stuff like and you could see it in how like it's been memefied since but like the stuff with like stew pickles and the adults is like very very funny and continues to be mm-hmm. funny to this day and um, and also and also like gave me like a couple of the episodes gave me s- straight up nightmare fuel for ages like some like rugrats it's just because of the way that it looked and kind of the concepts that it would have in some episodes like was really scary like uh there was that episode where like angelica imagined what it would be like if her mother had another baby and the baby is like this huge like drooling man it, it's it's oh it's so disgusting or like uh what, what was the other one like where tommy and chucky imagined going to a job and the ending of that is really scary. I forgot about that one. I remember where, where, that. Where it's like their arms extend out, and it's oh, it, it it freaked me out as a kid. But I but I still loved watching it. So you know, go figure. Yeah, unlike Arthur, I guess I don't really think about Rugrats too much. But now that we're talking about it, like I I really liked it as well. I had the uh, Rugrats Go to Paris VHS tape that was orange. The orange one, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I I also remember um. Do you remember All Grown Up? I do, yes. I, I even liked All Grown Up. I think it's an interesting idea to be like, okay, we're going to check back in with these babies now that they're teenagers and see how their kind of relationships and personalities have changed from being literal infants. I think at the time that All Grown Up came out, I was kind of past it. I forget what was what I was watching around that time, like probably probably moving on to anime and stuff like that. So I, I, I think at that point I kind of outgrew Rugrats even as they got older themselves. Anyway, very, very reliable show. Uh, if you haven't watched Rugrats in a while, you know, like, search it up on Google. Check out an episode. It's probably just as good as it was then. Uh, one of the rare shows that you can say that about. So we go from this. Arthur, DW, Kate and Pal are watching this, whatever they would call their Rugrats parody. And Kate just starts talking. <laughs> yeah, Kate's just a little Gabatha. <laughs> um, so, and then, in turn... Pal starts talking back in a British accent. Okay, so um, all right, all right. So first things first, their voices. Um, let's start with Kate. So Kate's got a, this very kind of sophisticated older white lady voice. Um, she talks very properly and succinctly. Uh, she's also very philosophical, as we find find out in this episode. She's very uh, intelligent. Uh, I I actually liked. Kate's voice here. I think that that's kind of a fun. I, I like I like Kate's voice as well. I think it's really and it's very funny. Like it's very distinctly an adult woman's voice. Mm. Like it's it's not like any of the other Arthur characters where they're attempting to sound like children. Um, like it's just like an adult woman talking, uh, which I think makes a contrast. It's very much like look who's talking style comedy, where it's like oh here's this baby that's talking like a person. Mm-hmm. Um, now Pal then- Pal's voice. I gotta say. When I saw this the first time when I was, you know, much younger, I would have been probably 11 years old. Uh, and, you know, growing up with Pal, like literally growing up with Pal over the years of just like he's, the, you know, Arthur's, uh, he's Arthur's dog. He's loyal. He's all this kind of stuff. You already kind of have a character in mind for who Pal is. Even just watching it through here, it's like you get the sense of who Pal is. And then you give him, like you said, it's kind of a, a bit of a stuffy British voice. Do you know if it's Mr. Rappern's voice actor? It kind of sounds like Mr. Rappern's voice actor put excuse me actor putting on a British accent. It does kind of sound like him, doesn't it? But I don't know. I'm gonna have to look that up real quick here. But I gotta say, I don't like Pal's voice. Like I didn't like now, it then, and I don't like it now. Now, Will, 
I would tend to agree with you. Back in the day, I was perturbed because Pal is like a cute, fuzzy creature, and I feel like um, in popular culture, we kind of want those to sound a certain way. But I, I bring this piece of evidence to the jury. Go ahead. Are you familiar with a series of films called Paddington? Yes, I've seen them both. Okay. Now, Paddington Bear, he's cute and cuddly. You'd think he'd sound like... You know, kind of like a cute, cuddly guy, but he kind of just sounds like a British man. Okay, but... And that has warmed me to the idea of... uh, Because it just kind of reminded me of Paddington 2, and I was like, you know what? Maybe this one isn't so bad. Okay, so but the difference there is that Paddington is a quintessentially British property. So like it's it's uh, you watch those movies, you read those books. It is the it it is British to the core. This is very much a different situation where it's like I don't understand the context of Pal being British. Like I, it's just kind of seems like a decision to offset the fact that he's like this kind of cheerful. Uh, excitable dog, and then just have him be like a sort of a an uptight British man. It just it doesn't work for me, and I, it it really changes the way that I look at Pal, and uh, it's kind of too bad. I mean, I understand what they're going for in terms of effect, but for it just I don't really like it as because Pal's one of my favorite characters. I talk about that all the time, but uh, yeah, this didn't really didn't really do it for me. Would you like it more if he was Australian? If he was talking about shrimp on the Barbie, would you be more uh, uh, for the voice? I don't think so. (laughs) If he was like, I'm a dingo and I'm going to eat a baby. (laughs) Oh, no, because then I'd be worried about Kate. That's oh, that's true. Anyway, that's their voices, and that's the kind of that's the conceit of this whole episode. And for many, I wonder if this was kind of a if this was kind of an episode where maybe for some kids or people watching, Arthur kind of jumped the shark. I don't know what the rea- what the reaction was at this time. I, I it didn't ruin anything for me really. I just thought it was kind of weird when I was a kid. But I can imagine maybe it turning off a couple of viewers who are just like, "What now? The baby and the dog are talking. That's dumb." And we um, we definitely get more episodes later on where it's episodes about them, and I, I and I will say this is a way to get more out of those to make them actual characters instead of having them either be like set dressing essentially or plot points because I remember the episode we did where like Pal ran away and was trying to get Kate's balloon we didn't really like that one and it's no I like I remember distinctly like hating that episode yeah so um, so I, I imagine that if you want to get something more out of these characters make them actual characters you got to kind of go this way and although i don't really like pal's voice as much you know after you listen to it for a while it's it's fine it's just not what i initially imagined for uh that character so it, it is what it is and you, you get used to it speaking of not liking kids shows so mm. they're watching a teletubbies parody i forget what it's called it's called v- um viddy boobies viddy boobies yes uh which un- unlike ask frank i would not recommend you google viddy boobies no um but uh, uh, what's interesting about this that's really funny, actually, uh, I appreciate this joke, is that when – so the, so the kids – it's kind of like Peanuts rules where, um, like, Pal and Kate can understand each other, but uh, everybody else sounds like they're talking simlish. Yeah, except it's more it's, – yeah, it's like simlish, so it's like blobby gooby, gooby baba, booby videos or whatever it's called. Uh, uh, it sounds like – the baby talk to um, DW and Arthur, but when Pal and Kate watch it, it's like poetic 
and like you said, yeah. philosophical, I, which is a pretty to, to be the first thing we see from these characters. Like even explaining this, I'm like, oh, OK, there's some mental loops. Like it's kind of mentally taxing to <laughs> to think about it. I really liked the joke of Vidi, yeah. Vidi Boobies uh, being like secretly Shakespeare, but only like babies can understand it. I thought that <laughs> that was really funny. And they actually use like literally a Shakespeare quote here. Uh, from the Tempest, uh, the one that looks like Poe um, does that. And I just thought that was really funny. Also, the Vidi boobies themselves have, like, it's, again, PBS kind of taking the piss out of itself because we've got one with, like, the dollar sign, one with the cent sign. They've just got random random crap on their heads. Uh, uh, I, thought, uh, I thought it was a very, w- very good parody. I was I was like weirded out because I was like I thought the Love Ducks were sort of the Teletubby stand-in in the Arthur universe, and then DW keeps the continuity by saying uh, she claims Arthur put on Vidi boobies because of his love for the Love Ducks, um, and she also says, "Why don't you just admit it? You're a baby show addict." Which <laughs> is just like a very funny sentence. Can imagine? I guess you would kind of consider us baby show addicts in a sense. I'm definitely a baby show addict, big time. <laughs> I'm fr- I'm proud to admit it. Uh, I will say that the the plot of this episode's a little thin because the rest of it is kind of put out with the idea that now we're hearing what Kate and Pal have to say. Kate is, again, very intelligent and philosophic, and Pal just kind of makes, you know, like, what if dogs could talk observations? And depending on how funny you think it is, it's it'll either make the episode go faster or not. I kind of got tired of it after a while it's it's at least with pal it's pretty easy pretty easy joke material uh so they're walking down the street they're going out for a walk and then pal eats a chocolate donut yeah um which would kill him yeah uh that that would just kill him he would die uh and nobody seems that concerned no so maybe i don't know maybe it, it was just a vanilla donut and it was dyed chocolate color but uh, I hate I, I God I sound like the Cinema Sins guy, but it's just something that I, I, as someone who's now again living with a dog, uh, it's something I noticed where I would not be just like, oh yeah, it's cool that my dog ate a chocolate donut. Pal eats a chocolate donut off the ground, and that should kill him. Ding. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh my gosh, how much have you practiced the Cinema Sins voice? I've watched enough videos uh, taking the air out of Cinema Sins to know that I hate that voice, and I could do it really well. So. You know, li- life is a study of contrasts, everybody. One voice I don't hate, uh, and we, 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 we've done a lot of talking about voices in this episode. New, we got a Kate's voice, Pal's voice. Now, let me tell you something, Will. Yeah. We get introduced to Nemo. Yes. Francine's cat that goes on walks. Mm-hmm. And Nino, Nemo's voice and characterization, mwah, I love it. So I love it everything about Nemo. He's like an anime villain. Like, he's like Dio from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like, he's awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah, Nemo just goes, Zawarudo. You know, I I, I can't get enough of him. He's great. So, regardless of how you feel about Nemo, um, this is definitely a, a bit of a character change in itself as well. It's like, Nemo is very much, like, Pal's foil here, whereas when we see Nemo before, he's pretty agree a pretty agreeable cat, and he he and Pal even made friends in that in Nemo's first episode when he looked very different. Uh, so this is a bit of a change here from friendly to villainous, uh, which is a bit harsh. 
But again, for the sake of getting of making Nemo an actual character, I'm f- I'm fine with it. And like you said, the voice performance is really good. Nemo, his voice is so oily. He like <laughs> I was talking about Alan Rickman earlier, and this is like uh, an American take on kind of the Alan Rickman delivery of just like. Uh, like, do you normally eat things out of the trash? Like, I bet the voice actor had a lot of fun recording Nemo. Like, it, it, it's good. No. It's good. Like, it's as far as direction goes, it's pretty good. I am excited. Uh, oh, gosh. Like, Nemo has this line where he's like, cats don't have masters, just good friends. Yeah. And it's like, man, I am a big... If if Nemo keeps this up in the future Palinkate episodes, like you said, there are some, um, he might be in my, like, Hall of Fame of, like, like up there with, like, Mr. Rapper and Binky and stuff. For me, I know that this is just a me thing, but, like, for some reason, I can't get enough of my man's evil Nemo. Yeah, well, well, Um, I certainly hope it's not the last we see. So the big conflict of this episode after they get back home is that Dad is making a uh, wedding cake for Mr. Crosswire's, I think, nephew? There's a great bit of uh, character work here. Um, Every time... uh, I just noticed this this stuck out to me. So every time Arthur's dad refers to Mr. Crosswire, of course he calls him Ed Crosswire because they're adults and that's how adults talk about each other. But I thought it was a nice realistic touch. Like, in some cartoons he would just call him Mr. Crosswire because that's what we know him as. But it's just... It it, it adds realism to hear Arthur's dad be like, oh, Ed's going to be pissed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so as Dad says, uh, Ed Crosswire is half his business, so he really needs to impress him and find this, <laughs> this, this wedding, this wedding cake topper, and... Which seems unsustainable. <laughs> but... Uh, like, I feel like, I feel like his catering business, it's, it's, it's one of two things, right? Either... His catering business is not as successful as I had considered it to be originally, and Arthur's mom is doing some heavy lifting with her accounting finances, or... Ed Crosswire just needs that much catering. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I imagine that Ed Crosswire throws quite a lot of bashes and probably gets a sweet deal uh, by going with like a local caterer, and they probably have like a whole model kind of worked out. So it, it, it actually doesn't surprise me too much, especially with somebody who is as rich as uh, Ed Crosswire is. Anyway, we see immediately that the cake topper is under the table, and how Dad didn't look there, I'll never know, but he's very stressed, and so maybe just uh, mistook it for a toy, because there's a lot of DW's toys are on the floor as well, so he probably just uh, assumed it was one of those or something. He's he's frantic at this point. He's just looking absolutely everywhere for this cake topper because he need he needs it. Like he spent he spent all night specifically designing it to look like the bride and groom. One thing I like about so the way this episode does this because it is kind of a gimmicky Arthur episode, not dissimilar to say the one where we're um, looking from Arthur's perspective and he does the marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I like about the way they execute upon this because, like you said. Um, and I know you got a little bit tired of like, okay, uh, uh, pal just basically speaks in, oh, what if a dog could talk? And and Kate's kind of philosophical, but they do go in and out of the baby and the dog's perspective and then contrast that with the adult's perspective. Yeah. So it's not just like this, this, th- there is a universe out there where this episode is literally like everybody's doing simlish the entire episode. Yeah. Um, and that would be, uh, whatever problems you had, that would be way, 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 way worse 
uh, and and get old way quicker. I find so I think I think it's fun to sort of we we keep getting this juxtaposition of like okay this is what the baby and the dog saw and then this is how the adults perceive the situation. Mm-hmm. And I mean they do they do make the most of it as as they can. Like Kate almost grabs it under the table, but then mom takes her upstairs for a nap and she is like mother now is not the time. Father is in <laughs> trouble and I must help. And then from Kate's perspective, you know, you're, you're right. It, it could be a lot worse uh, in terms of how they tell the story. And then pal has a joke of like, goodbye, dearest Kate. You'll only be gone for an hour, but it'll feel like seven to me. And like, yeah, yeah, you're a dog. Uh, so Kate tasks pal with find with finding the thing and bringing it to dad. Uh, again, he's he complains quite a bit. He's just like picks it up in his mouth and just like ugh, almond paste. And uh, we get uh, we get a thing here where Kate is Kate doesn't really know. She knows that the the wedding cake topper is important, but she doesn't know what it's for because she's a baby. She lacks pretty much all context. So she thinks that if they put the bride and groom on top of the cake, uh, that. Every adult in the world will turn into a baby, and that's how we'll achieve peace on Earth. And we get a yeah, we, we get a cu- this... we get a cut ba- we get a cut here to like her imagining everybody at the wedding, including like Mr. Crosswire, Mom and Dad, like all turning into babies. And she's like, the lion will lay down with the lamb, and the um, and the something the this and that like, and there will be peace on Earth. This is just odd. Yeah. This is just like strange. Like I, 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 I mean, I guess it's kind of fun, but it's like I didn't know what to make of it. I, I know what you mean. It's so weird. Yeah, it's it's they really had to really... like the way they put the statue on the cake and it like lowers down and like activates this sort of ray of light that turns everyone into a baby. It's just so strange. Yeah, you're you're right. It's almost hard to really know what to say about it. Um, I agree with you there, Lucas, for sure. Speaking of strange, man, like, again, Pal being a dog, he's very, uh, uh, focused on food. He thinks about food a lot, like Arthur pours him some chicken feast and he gets hungry, but he's also trying to think about his mission to get the cake topper. So Arthur tempts him with a bit of bacon and we cut to Pal's imagination and he has like a Fred Astaire dance number where he's singing, I'm, I'm in heaven, like... Hit. Okay, so this it's what's crazy about this. So, uh, and Family Guy would have been on the air around this time, and people often compare this episode. Um, I've heard this comparison in the Discord, and I've also heard this comparison just you know on the internet. It's like people compare the Pal and Kate episodes to sort of the Stewie and Brian adventures that happen. Yeah. On, um, uh-huh. on Family Guy. Um, and I, I, I mean, in the sense that they're kind of pretty dissimilar in that, like, that's a regular B plot or A plot on Family Guy episodes where this is kind of a lot more weirder and a lot more like, um, it's definitely this Stewie and Griffin are just kind of characters. They might as well just be adults, uh, where these characters are definitely like different from everybody else. But this is the one territory where like this goes full Seth MacFarlane. Like Fred Astaire dance number is definitely like, it's, it just reminds me of like, um, Stewie dancing with um. Oh, what is it? Is it Gene? Uh, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, you know what I'm talking about. Gene, uh, Gene Kelly, Gene Kelly. Yeah, Stewie dancing with Gene Kelly. Like Seth MacFarlane is a big fan of like show tunes and musicals, and he kind of incorporates that here and there. Where like usually the rest of his stuff is very pop culture and very not good. I am. Oh no, and uh, that's and, that's neither here nor there. And, but he does like 
like his kind of show tunesy uh, theatrical stuff, and he always sprinkles that into his show because you can tell that like he's a big fan of um, of that kind of old timey old Hollywood stuff. And for some reason, like of all the th- things uh, th- they incorporated here, which is kind of a weird coincidence for the one thing to be like always compared to Stewie and, and Brian's uh, adventures, they also incorporate sort of like a Family Guy joke. And it, but and it's also not nearly as indulgent as those uh, parts in Seth MacFarlane comedies usually come across. But yeah, it's like Pal in a top hat and jacket and cane dancing with an anthropomorphic slice of bacon. It looked a lot like Sausage Party to me, which, ugh. <laughs> uh, and he's singing, you know, heaven, I'm in heaven, uh, and, you know, imagine him eating the bacon. But then Kate calls for help, and it kind of snaps him out of it before he can actually eat the bacon. Uh, because DW accidentally put the bride and groom into her... Um, into like her barn thing, and she carries her toys in, and, and she gives uh she gives uh, D- uh Kate Larry the lemon, which I'd li- I'd like to know more about Larry the lemon. <laughs> I've, al- um, I've always uh, wo- also I've always a wondered. weird thing. Of- oh, sorry. What no, was I was just gonna say I always wondered. Oh, about Larry the lemon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. Me too. Will me? I wonder about Larry the lemon too. They also use a custom scene transition for specifically when they mention Larry the Lemon, like a bunch of lemons go on the scene during the sideswipe, and it's like, of all the things, like, why for this? It's like the strawberry transition in the episode about the strawberry cookies. I'll have to remember to see if they use the lemons ever again, because it's like, that's a lot of work if you're just going to be like, oh, they mentioned the lemons. So Pal tries taking the cake topper to Dad, but he doesn't want to pay attention to him, so Pal gets a little offended, uh, brings it somewhere else, and then eats the strip of bacon, but ev- but due to the juxtaposition of kind of how close together everything was, you know, like Arthur saw him with the cake topper, uh, everybody thinks that Pal ate the bride and groom, so... Uh, dad is mortified. Dad and mom are going to go to the wedding to uh, apologize to Ed and explain to him. So, you know, not to get around it. And uh, Arthur has this great line. I love it when Ar- like not since um, there was the threat of pal being sent away to a barn. Have the stakes been so high? Because uh, Arthur goes, pal, bud, you want to go for a walk? It might be our last. Yeah, because he doesn't know what kind of trouble pal might be in. But uh, so as they're taking the catering van to the wedding, uh, Kate again tasks pal to bring the wedding topper uh, and so Pal breaks away. He still has his leash on, and he really runs after the after the catering van. And along the way, he gets snagged on a fence, which is the same fence that he was talking to Nemo uh, at earlier. And we see Nemo there, who proceeds to gloat over him uh, as Pal is stuck in the fence, and he needs to get to the wedding, and he's begging Nemo to help him. And again, Nemo, very Bond villain here, just like, mm, well, what can you do for me? Maybe you'll be my scratching post for a week. And and then he just goes, beg. And th- <laughs> See, this is where Nemo passed the Rubicon for me where I was like, I love Nemo. Yeah. And, <laughs> I love him. And there is a great lo- there is a great reading here from Pal, just, you're a cruel beast. <laughs> and, he just, and he just, despite, he, he swallows his pride and he begs and Nemo just yucks it up. He loves it. And uh, I do like the directions that Nemo gives him. It's just like, uh, turn left at the bakery smell, turn right at the laundry smell, then uh, go until you smell, you hit the scent of new money on how to get (laughs) to the crosswires. That's that's another really good joke that probably like a kid would not pick up on. So Pal does indeed get get to the van before Ed Crosswire can see the cake. 
he uh, he gives the topper to Kate, and she manages to fling it backwards exactly onto the pedestal. As like while this is happening, yeah. um, we get Arthur's dad is like desperately trying to explain what's happened, and I like I love it when Arthur's dad is just like flustered, like it, he's because he's a character where like again like many fa- fatherly figures in, in cartoons, he's usually the voice of reason, you know, he's usually giving advice, um, but he's really funny when he's like losing it, like not said some. Um, remember when his souffle yes. deflated and he was yeah. like all distraught? That was hilarious. Um, and similarly here where he's like desperately earlier in the episode, Arthur's mom suggests that he just tells him the truth. Um, and he completely disregards her advice because he's like making up this story where he's like, you know, at the last minute, I was like, why don't we go for something a little bit more minimal? And he's like looking around <laughs> the, the party and he's like, who wants a couple on the cake? We could just put a rose. And he like grabs a rose from a bush. <laughs> like he's completely unhinged, just motor mouth. And uh, Mr. Rappert is like, oh, I, I don't like it. Mr. Crossword, excuse me. Mr. Crossword's like, I don't like it. And then, of course, uh, Kate sinks her. She's Steph Curry. Uh, with 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 the statue because it lands on the cake, uh, and he says, "I love it." And so they get to uh, Kate, pal, and the Reeds get to stay at the wedding. Uh, Kate's a little upset though because she really thought that when again back to the thing of when she put the topper on, she figured that it would turn everybody into babies. But then pal says, "Well, look around. Everybody is acting like babies." <laughs> yeah, it's they're, like they're all drunk. Of course, <laughs> they're, they're acting like babies. Mister Crosswire, there's a great shot of him. Like he doesn't have his his blazer on anymore. He's got a top hat on and he's shaking maracas. He is three sheets, my dude. He is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mister Crosswire's having a time. This is like uh, we're definitely gonna get a couple of those in a couple months when uh, we get to my wedding here. Oh my goodness gracious! Hey, who knows? It could be you. That's, uh, you know what? Chances are probably would be. So, probably sans the top hat, though. I don't know if I could make that work. Yeah, you'll have to bring the maracas on your own. You know, like so they're they're acting they're acting silly, uh, and they're sharing their food. Like the bride and groom uh, share the eat the cake topper together, and then it's just like I. And then it's just a little bit of a, a lame ending as they literally do like the Looney Tunes. That's all, folks. Like, and and Kate's like, I guess we're not so different after all. Okay, there would have been a lame ending, except we finally got our throwaway character of the week. Okay, I think I guess I know who it is, but I'm eager to have you explain why. The throwaway character of the week this week, there wasn't. I was really worried. Again, I thought there wasn't going to be a throwaway character. Uh, but luckily, we have the groom, uh, Ed Crosswire's nephew. He bites into the cake topper and says, hmm, tastes like chicken? Yeah. Uh, uh, that was enough because there was no other choices. At first I was confused. I was like, why the hell does he think it tastes like chicken? Is he insane? It's made with almond paste. But then I realized it was sitting in, uh, Pal's food bowl. Oh. Uh, and it's probably crusted with, like, chicken-flavored dog food. Um, either way, it's a ridiculous scenario, and it's almost even funnier knowing that it's it has so much dog food particle on it, it tastes like chicken. Um, and so the fact that that dude put it in his mouth so excitedly uh, is what has earned him the honor of being the throwaway character of the week. Do you know something? I totally didn't even put that together until you kind of did it for me so oh i did a lot of thinking about it because at first i was just like this is absurd why would (laughs) almond paste taste like chicken and then i really thought long and hard about it i was like oh okay yeah which is if if i had to think about that much to figure out that joke i'm sure it went over 99 percent of people's heads and that's a wrap there on easily one of the stranger episodes of arthur
So before we can really give our thoughts on that one, let's rewind it back to Prunella's Special Edition. How did this one strike you? So Prunella's Special Edition, um, I don't have, like, strong feelings about it. Uh, I'm not a big Harry Potter guy, so a lot of the Harry Potter, like, parody stuff... Uh, mileage may vary as far uh, mileage may vary as far as that's concerned with me um, but I did think it, it it's notable in that I didn't mind Prunella so much and I kind of like how um, it's pretty much at the halfway point of the episode she meets her just desserts for being annoying and sort of the rest of the episode is her kind of coming to terms with the fact she's not going to read the book and then she meets her new friend so I liked that she wasn't like the Prunella I don't like the whole episode, and we kind of even see in this episode, in this self-contained story, some growth from Prunella. So I, I thought that was positive. Um, I wasn't sure about, again, it's Marina, right? Yes. Um, I wasn't sure about the introduction of Marina. I kind of wish she was introduced a little bit earlier in the episode. She's kind of used as a deus ex machina here in that it's like, oh, she shows up and is immediately Prunella's friend and offers to read to her. Um, I know that they were probably like, they had to convey that in a very short amount of time. Uh, so I understand why they did it that way, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see more from that character and see her develop as more of a character instead of just kind of a, a plot device to solve Prunella's problem. That being said, it sounds like I'm really critical of the episode, but I, I, I'm not. I, there was a lot, like, even though it didn't really uh, resonate with me, all the Harry Potter parody stuff is pretty funny and, and very creative, especially all the stuff with the vegetables. Um, AskFrank.com is, like, so awesome it needs to be mentioned again. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think this episode is just kind of okay. I don't see it as one that I would return to or necessarily recommend unless you're like a big Harry Potter person. Um, but I don't think it's a bad episode at all. I think it's quite good actually. Yeah. I think with the theme with both of these episodes is that it kind of brings, um, brings some characters forward into the light a little bit. And it means we're kind of introducing stuff that we will continue to play with, along the line, which is good for such a long-lived show like Arthur. Uh, you know, we get introduced to new characters. We have, like, kind of new personality traits for existing characters. Uh, and with Prunella here, I mean, I'm always glad to have a character that I'm not so hot on or even just kind of indifferent about get more time to get invested in them or not. Um, I did appreciate the Harry Potter references. I think they did a really good job kind of making Henry Screever its own while also, of course, throwing back to the very real uh, phenomenon that was going on at the time. Um, and I thought that the story itself was, I mean, it was kind of interesting. Like Prunella gets a Braille version of a, a sense, ostensibly a Harry Potter book and then ends up making a new friend out of it. So it's kind of interesting. It doesn't go where you think that it might. I'm also really excited for Marina to be more of a character, uh, to see more of her and Prunella kind of interact with each other. And yeah, I'm, I end up being pretty positive on this episode as well. It's just, I don't know if it's like, it's not like I loved watching it or something, but I think it has a lot of kind of positive implications uh, going ahead into not just this season, but the rest of the series. Um, so the secret life, the secret life, the secret life, excuse me, of dogs and babies. Uh, this was this was as weird as this was as strange to the overall context of Arthur as people kind of built it up to be. And it's even weirder kind of coming at it from an adult's perspective of just like, OK, we are clearly entering into a new kind of era in terms of the stories that Arthur is telling because we're giving these two 
Kate and Pal, like, really not characters at all, more just almost props at some points in terms of, like, Kate. So we're actually giving them characters, and they will get their own episodes. We will delve further into this. I imagine that's that could definitely lose some people. For me, I'm open to it as much as I may not like Pal's voice. I, like I said, I did kind of warm up to it by the end, and it's fine. It's just kind of not what I would expect which isn't necessarily a bad thing. The The episode itself, like we both kind of said, it's pretty light on plot, and it's just kind of more a vehicle to get across the idea of both of their gimmicks, essentially. Uh, and I think that's fine. I'm open to there being episodes further down the line where they actually kind of get more to chew on in an episode. So this was this was fine, and it's definitely a curiosity in the overall Arthur canon. It's you know it's the episode where Kate and Pal start talking, and that's really. And, and there's even more kind of strange stuff in there, too, from Larry the Lemon to the dance sequence to Viddy. The, the Rugrats opening? Rug- Let's not forget about the Rugrats opening. Rugrats and Viddy boobies. It's a real curio. And uh, so definitely worth a watch just for, like, curiosity's sake alone. Yeah, I, yeah I, we've talked about this before, but weirdness goes a long way with me. I always tend to like the more high concept out there Arthur episodes. Um, so I think like me personally, like I, I really enjoyed the secret life of dogs and babies. Um, just like being what bizarre thing are they going to show me next? Like the Rugrats parody took me completely by surprise as did, uh, Viddy boobies. Um, and like, I, I, I don't know. I, I liked Kate's, uh, characterization I'm, I'm happy they did more with kate than just the same thing they did with pal in that she kind of is like she's kind of granola and she's kind of like ideal like she's looking for sort of this john lennon like everybody should be a baby and peace on earth yeah it's a weird angle to take and i appreciated the weirdness of it um and i think at least with this episode the novelty had not yet worn off with look they're talking it's pal and kate and they're talking isn't this weird so i enjoyed it at least for this episode Episode, and I'm interested to see where they take it in the future. Also, we forgot about the dance sequence. Remember the dance sequence? There's so much weird stuff in this episode. Um, and I have to just say, like, I, for some reason, I can't get enough of my man Nemo. Like, it's he's sick. I love it. I love Nemo. I liked Nemo even when he didn't talk and he was just Binky's friend that was a weird cat that went on walks, which is strange enough already. Uh, but now that he's like Hans Gruber, I... I I cannot wait to see my friend Nemo again. Uh, so I would say I actually really, really enjoyed this episode. He he really is kind of like Kitty Hans Gruber, isn't he? Uh, Kitty Hans Gruber, say no more. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here at Elwood City Limits. Thank you, everybody. Uh, sorry to keep you waiting for this. Unfortunately, we may get a few more interruptions along the way. We're both pretty busy. I mean, Lucas with his school schedule. Me, I've got a wedding coming up, for goodness sakes. So it's a pretty tumultuous 2019, but we're happy to... Uh, be able to record when we can. Of course, you can follow us over on social media. We'll try and keep you informed as to what's going on from week to week. Uh, Posting up more of those memes as well on Instagram as well, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Ag- again, if you're a Patreon subscriber, no matter what, if we miss a week, uh, we've been pretty good at keeping up with the filibusters. And um, I've been liking. The, if you ever want to hear our take on stuff that's other than Arthur, I know we get on topic on this episode uh, on 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 these episodes from time to time. Uh, but we really get off topic with the filibusters. If you want to hear, for instance, uh, we'll talk about what he's been watching lately or, 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 or playing, like Resident Evil 2. 
too. Or if you want to hear me talk about the new Vampire Weekend album or stuff like that, um, or anime, uh, the filibuster is your place to uh, listen to that kind of content, and it's all on the Patreon. And for our patrons as well, we really want to say a big thank you from the both of us. Uh, it's really awesome to, to have this little community we've collected. Don't be shy over on the Discord. We'd really love to hear from you. Start a conversation or join. I've been busy with school. i got to get back into the Discord. Mm-hmm. I love the Discord, and I, I promise I'll, I'll try and post there a little bit more. I've just been swamped lately. And I keep, and I keep saying it, and I, I really do apologize with how busy my schedule's been. I still haven't really figured out uh, streaming yet or even like just uh, playing games together. Hopefully uh, we've, uh, we kind of have loose plans within the Discord to do Jackbox sometime soon. So I'm hoping I can kind of figure out exactly how that's going to work for the group. And if you would like to join in on any potential uh, uh, group games or anything like that, again, all it takes is a dollar a month over at Patreon. But really, we want to. We, we are very thankful for every single uh, donor we have over there. And even if you're not a patron, we are very thankful for giving us your time week after week. And we're very glad to be doing this show for you. So coming up on the next full edition of Elwood City Limits, Season 6 continues on. And in fact, we may be joined by a special guest for Muffy's Soccer Shocker. And brother, can you spare a clarinet? Ooh, more on that next week. Yeah, or whenever we hear from you, whenever you hear from us next, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to be part of your week. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. That's the longest book I've ever read. 473 pages. Actually, it's 474 if you count the dedication. (laughs) We will see you next time on Elwood City Limits. Have a great week.